my, my first thought when we went into that time of silence was I could not be a Quaker. I don't know if you know about the Quaker tradition. Worship service for a Quaker, seriously, silent the entire gathering. Like you go in, you sit down. And I, I, my next thought was maybe, maybe I should be a Quaker. I mean, because I sense even in the silence how, how good it is just to, to be still um, and how much we need just to be exposed to the mystery of God that a spiritual practice like silence opens, opens us up to. Uh, I'm, I'm really thrilled uh, to be here with you guys today. It warms the cockles of my hearts, as one of my old Greek professors would say. You don't have to understand it, but it means that I'm glad to be here. Uh, we're starting a new series of conversations today called I Am Jesus, and it centers on what Jesus said about himself in John's Gospel, particularly in the seven texts where he says, I am blank, fill in the blank, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, so on and so forth. And this series of conversations really connects to the epiphany season of the Christian calendar when Jesus is revealed to the world as Savior. I am statements, those statements of Jesus are a great way to explore exactly how Jesus is revealed to the world as Savior. And I, I think it will be timely. I think it will be challenging. Uh, in, in some parts it will be extremely comforting. In other parts uh, it will be good for people who are not too far along in their journey with Jesus and good for people who are further along in their journey for Jesus, uh, journey with Jesus. Today's text is the first I Am statement that's found in John chapter 6. And we're going to be on page 730-ish today. So if you have one of these Bibles or the Story of God Bibles, I think they're numerically the same, you'll have a tracking point. John 6, if you're in your own Bible today. Uh, at the beginning of John 6, Jesus performs this well-known miracle. And he's gaining popularity such that 5,000 plus people are starting to follow him and they all end up chilling out at the base of this mountain near the Sea of Galilee and everyone begins to realize hmm, we're, we're kind of hungry and even Jesus says who's going to feed these people and the disciples freak out because how much is it going to cost to feed that many people how could we do it they could only find a boy who had five loaves and two fish and what good would that do with 5,000 plus People. I mean, you could, you could feed one family unit, maybe, in that whole crowd. And Jesus kind of grins. You can see him grinning in the text, maybe behind the lines of the text. Uh, he thanks God for it. And somehow, that small amount of food is multiplied until all 5,000 people are full. And, of course, that, that's ridiculously amazing. It astonishes the people. And this, they think this guy must be the guy. This guy must be the prophet. This guy must be the second Moses. He'll, he'll deliver us from Roman bondage in the same way Moses delivered the, the uh, Israel, Israelite people from Egyptian captivity. But Jesus jets before they can make him their king because he has bigger things in mind. He has other things in mind. And so... He heads over to the other side of the lake, and it's not too long. Next day, people start to wonder, where is Jesus? 
we want to see something else. What, what could he do? If he, could, if he could multiply five loaves and two fish, what else could he do? And so they get in their boats and they go across the lake and they find him. And that's when the crowd and Jesus have a pretty significant conversation about who exactly Jesus is and what his purposes are. Uh, let's, let's read a little snippet from John chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. Rabbi, when did you get here? They asked. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for, spo- for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. Jesus could tell that the crowd was hungry and that they wanted more to eat, and that's why they were there. Not necessarily because of Jesus, but because they were hungry. And in typical Jesus style, he takes the opportunity to point to deeper hunger. It wasn't their hungry stomachs. Uh, It wasn't that their hungry stomachs weren't important. I mean, if they weren't important, if their hunger wasn't important, he wouldn't certainly have taken the time the day before to feed them. And that that was very legitimately important. It was just that they were neglecting a deeper hunger, a hunger maybe for significance, a hunger for fulfillment, for wholeness, for satisfaction, for peace, this food that endures to eternal life. They were chasing after breadcrumbs when they should have been chasing after the bread loaf of all bread loaves. Can you imagine trying to get some nourishment on breadcrumbs? I mean, it makes me want to cough because I need some water. But, I mean, to be filled up on breadcrumbs. It's a big pile of breadcrumbs. They were distracted from their deeper hunger. They were, they were even looking in the wrong places to satisfy that deeper hunger. Perhaps they were mistaking their full bellies from the day before as, as a sign of satisfaction of that deeper hunger. Hunger, But how, how long can that last, really? Here we are the next day, and they're asking again. They're hungry again. Where's the next sign? Where's the next amount of food? And the crowd is certainly not disinterested in having this deeper hunger met, though. Because look at their response when Jesus says, let me tell you about a more significant food, about food that endures to eternal life. They jump right in. And they immediately ask, what, what can we do to do the work that God requires, parentheses, so that we can be satisfied, so that we can have our hunger fulfilled and, and feel good and, and be full? What can we do? And Jesus said, you don't do anything. You believe in the one God sends. Interesting answer. Surprising answer. That Jesus gives. The crowd, I think, betrays a fundamental assumption that many of us hold on to about satisfying that deeper hunger. And that is, 
We have to do something to satisfy it. To satisfy this deeper hunger that we have, we have to do something. Much like everything in the American individualistic paradigm. We've got to work hard at it and get it done, get it satisfied. The harder we try, the more places we look, the more likely we'll be able to satisfy that deep hunger. But, but how long really does that last? We find ourselves hungry again sooner or later. We're just chasing after breadcrumbs. Our neighbors are in a real tough time right now. It's real chaos for them. Uh, I get the feeling in the times that I talk to them that they're just barely holding it together. Uh, Derek, the husband, is a gourmet chef. He's opening a new restaurant. And if that wasn't enough, and the 80 to 100 hours a week that he works to get that up off the ground, their two-year-old daughter has leukemia. And so they're, they're having to take her to treatments all the time. Just in order to have insurance, Monica, Derek's wife, has to work full-time so that they'll have insurance, so they'll be able to afford the treatment. So Salomea, their child, is constantly home with the nanny, uh, many days a week. You can just tell they're burning both ends of the candle. And Monica once shared with me that her, bar, her body kind of started flipping out on her. And her, her back started to really spaz up. And uh, she had trouble walking, didn't feel good. And so she started making appointments with a special masseuse who could align the energies in her body and, and, and make her right, make her feel better. And she said she even did, she did in fact feel better after going to this masseuse. She felt like, well, somehow my, my energies are aligned, I guess. And she wanted to start taking her daughter, Salomea. Maybe it would help Salomea feel better. Maybe it, maybe it would heal Salomea. But I, I couldn't help wonder in my conversations with Monica if she was just chasing after breadcrumbs, food that, that fills up for a little while, but finally spoils. Maybe it's not a special masseuse we're using to try to satisfy our deep hunger. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a husband or a wife. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it's the prospect of a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it's Bible study habits. Maybe we feel like we can satisfy this deep hunger if we, if we read a good Christian book or, or have longer prayer times. Or, or maybe, we, uh, maybe we just eat a lot to, to satisfy that, that deeper emotional longing that we have. Maybe it's worry or sex or drinking or drugs or partying or fashion or fitness or money. Maybe we feel like if I, if I have the right job, I'll feel that deep sense of satisfaction and wholeness. Maybe it's the right stuff, the right car, the right clothes, if, if I get that in place, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be complete, I'll be whole. At the end of the day, though, we're just chasing after breadcrumbs. Jesus says, I know how to satisfy the hunger. I know how you get that enduring loaf of bread. Starting in verse 29. Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, 
What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. From now on, give us this bread. Where is this bread? Every day, give us this bread, Jesus. They're still thinking that that maybe this bread is something that will come down from heaven like it did when Moses and the Israelites were were in the desert after they were liberated and they were all hungry and cranky and they prayed to God and Moses prayed to God for them and food started falling from the sky. But Jesus says, no, wait a minute, look at me. I am the bread of life. I am the bread. I am the loaf you've been seeking, the enduring loaf the means to the satisfaction of your deep hunger. Beginning in verse 35, Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and still you don't believe. All who the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. And at this, the Jews there began to grumble about him. Because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the father And learn from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who's from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which people may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus says, if you want satisfaction for your deep hunger, this is what you do. Believe in me and you'll have eternal life. Now, There are a couple of words in that sentence that I think need a a little explanation, lest popular religious understandings of those words keep us from getting 
at the impact of what Jesus is really saying. The first word is believe. Typically, when we hear the word believe, we think cognitive assent. You know, I hear something and, oh yeah, that, that makes sense to me. That sounds good. That sounds logical. But not so with Jesus in John's gospel. In John's gospel, belief is much more holistic. It means total commitment, total trust in the object of belief. To believe is to throw your lot in with the one whom you, in whom you believe. To believe is to sell the farm for the one in whom you believe. To believe is to bet your very life on the one in whom you believe. That's a little different than, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Now the second word is life, particularly when it has this adjective in front of it, eternal, eternal life. Typically when we hear eternal life, what do, we, what do you think of when you hear eternal life? Anybody? After you die? Yeah. Heaven, the afterlife. Uh, when, when we die, we go to heaven, and that's where we have eternal life. Not so in John's gospel. In John's gospel, eternal life is very much a present possession of those who believe. Look in verse 40. Everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Notice that slight but very important distinction between eternal life and the afterlife. It's kind of redundant if they both mean the same thing. Like, whoever believes in me will have an afterlife and have an afterlife. Thank you, Jesus, for your superior clarity there. I think there's a reason why... Those two phrases are together. I think they're distinct. If, if that's not clear enough for you, what about verse 47? Jesus says, whoever believes has eternal life. That's a present tense verb. Whoever believes has eternal life in the now. And if that isn't clear enough, try on John 17, verse 3. Later when Jesus is praying, he says, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus, whom you have sent. So think of eternal life more as eternal kind of life, as Dallas uh, Willard puts it in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. It's, it's transcendent life. It's true life. Uh, parallel terms in other Gospels are salvation and the kingdom of God, as with eternal life. Salvation and the kingdom are realities that people begin to experience because they believe in Jesus. They don't have to wait for heaven to get it. It begins now. Eternal life begins at belief. So to sum up Jesus' answer, to satisfy one's deepest hunger, Jesus says, bet your life on me and you'll start experiencing a transcendent kind of life now. Go all in for me, and from now on, you'll never be hungry again. This is the let's be honest part of the sermon. How in the heck does that happen? Really? Think about that. Jesus said, just believe in me. And I mean, Jesus, you know, I mean, I, I, mean, I want to have a conversation with Jesus. Do you really mean if I, if I just say, okay, I'm, I'm all in? 
I give you my life. Then, you know, it's like, I'm, to- I'm different. You know, I'm new. I'm, I'm a different person. I, I'm, I'm eternal life in it now. I know, it, it's a bit goofy. It sounds kind of hokey, doesn't it? But it's absolutely true. Maybe there's a little bit of mystery involved in this. But then again, if it's God, why wouldn't there be mystery involved? I tripped across this I Am Second website. Have you guys seen those big uh, banners, ads all over the city? Anybody looked at the website? Yeah? You guys looked at the website? Pretty cool website. Um, you've seen those commercials with Josh Hamilton uh, on the Rangers. You know, Greg Ellis is on the billboard uh, for the, the Cowboys. I don't know who the Cowboys are. Uh, I stopped paying attention to them several weeks ago. But it's pretty much a campaign to connect people to the bread of life. To say, I am not first. God is first. I am second. Now on the website, there are like 20 different, very well-known people who kind of tell stories about how they came to find their hunger satisfied in Jesus. Like Joe Gibbs, who's an NFL coach. Uh, Daryl Waltrip, for all you NASCAR fans out there. I know all of y'all are familiar with him. Uh, Jason Witten, I, I don't know who that is. Jason Castro, American Idol finalist. Brian Welch, who used to be the lead singer of Corn, with a K. Yeah, he's a rugged dude. One, one of the stories that impacted me really greatly was the story of, of an actor named Stephen Baldwin, whose more famous brother is uh, Alec Baldwin. I'm sure Stephen would really appreciate that for me. But let's, let's take a look at it. Before Sergio was baptized last month, uh, he was standing outside of the pool, and remember, it, was, it wasn't too bad. The water was chilly. Wasn't too chilly outside, but he was he was wearing an old T-shirt that uh, was a favorite T-shirt of his. You can see it in this picture. Music is culture for all. Always bringing joy, live it. Uh, this was an important T-shirt for Sergio in the past, and I guess the words were less important, uh, but the kind of the role that it filled and and the the significance that it had for Sergio. It was a shirt that he always wore, and he, in his words, said, I kind of wore it for good luck. Uh, when I would go out, I would wear that shirt, and uh, it would give me good luck. But now, uh, as he's baptized, he makes this decision that I'm, I'm trading it in for something more significant, something more meaningful, more filling. And after he was baptized, he took that shirt, and he threw it in the garbage uh, to signify how he was leaving his old life. He had new clothes. He was now clothed in Christ. I think that's just a wonderful symbol of what it means to believe in the one who God has sent. I think Stephen and Sergio's story, Stephen Baldwin, Sergio, their stories tell us something very important about our hunger. And they tell us that our hunger is not just for fulfillment or for success or happiness or wholeness or peace. Our hunger includes those things, but it's far more than those things. When it comes down to it, at the end of the day, we're all hungry for God. Jesus says, 
God has sent me to fill you up, to satisfy you. I am that big loaf of bread. And here's the kicker. It has nothing to do, or at least relatively little to do, with what we do. Verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to the Father, or no one can come to me, rather, unless the Father draws them. We can't fill ourselves up. We can't make the bread that endures. It has to be given to us. Not only that, if we take this text seriously, we're led to believe that we could not even be sensitized to our deepest hunger pangs were it not for God causing our spiritual stomachs to growl for Him. Belief and eternal kind of life come as a gift to us, not as something we do or earn. Jesus says, just put it on the line for me. And that, that's, that's it. Only God can fill us. A husband or a wife can't. A boyfriend or a girlfriend can't. Neither can the prospect of a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Bible study habits can't fill us by themselves. A good Christian book or longer prayer times can't fill us in and of themselves. Emotional eating, worry, sex, drinking, none of that will fill us like we want them to. Drugs won't do it. Partying won't do it. Fashion won't do it. Fitness won't do it. Money will not fill us the way we need to be filled. The right job won't fill us the way we need to be filled. Stuff, the right car, the right clothes will not fill us the way we need to be filled. All of that is just breadcrumbs compared to the enduring food of Jesus. Only God can fill us. Maybe you've got the hunger. You smell that bread? Yeah? Yeah, that's, that's part of it, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe you've got the hunger, and, and maybe it's not just the, your literal stomach growling because you smell that bread over there in the corner getting ready for communion. Jesus says we find satisfaction and eternal kind of life when we give our lives to Him. And some of us may need to do that for the first time. Uh, the rest of us uh, certainly need to recommit ourselves to receiving the life, the abundance, the satisfaction that comes from Jesus. No matter where you're at, you're welcome to join us in demonstrating our commitment to Jesus in the Lord's Supper, where we'll eat the bread, we'll drink the wine, and we'll remind each other that Jesus satisfies our hunger by giving His life for the world. And as we put our lives on the line, as we throw in our lots, something, something happens to us. Something changes in us. Something is transformed about us. So let's, let's enjoy the communion feast. I'm going to go and get the bread. <laughs>